welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping product managers become product masters. Listen and get ready to take your career to the next level for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, your host, and this is where you make your move from product manager to product master. My 12-year-old son recently got a belt sander from his opa. Opa's a German name for a grandfather. My son's making a bookshelf, and he has a lot of sanding to do. The belt sander will do the work quickly. It's the right tool for the job, but only if used properly. It has a really powerful motor and a rapidly moving belt that kind of makes it a beast. If it's not used properly, it can do a lot of damage to the person using it and anything around it. So I showed my son how to use it correctly, and we discussed what can happen if you don't use it the way that it was intended, the way that you should. Thankfully, he's been very careful with it, and the sanding is going well. That is the thing with powerful tools. Used properly, they are a valuable aid, but used incorrectly, they can cause a lot of pain and turmoil. The same applies to a frequent tool product managers use, the product roadmap. That might come as a surprise, but think about this a bit. The traditional use of a roadmap nearly guarantees that product managers will get damaged in some way, like mishandling the belt sander. A roadmap requires you to keep your promise even after you've learned that the plan features are no longer needed. Well, at least you kept your promise, but you built the wrong thing. That doesn't seem right. On the other hand, if you do the right thing and not add the features, then you'll be breaking your promise that you made by putting them on the roadmap. While the roadmap is one of the most frequently used tools by product managers, it is also one of the most unsafe. But the traditional way of using roadmaps doesn't have to continue. To discuss how they should be used, the author of Product Roadmaps Relaunched, How to Set Direction While Embracing Uncertainty, Bruce McCarthy, joins us in this interview. And the book has received high praise, including from Steve Blank, the grandfather of Lean Startup, who said, It's about time someone brought product roadmapping out of the dark ages of waterfall development and made it into the strategic communications tool it should be. McCarthy and team have cracked the code. Bruce has founded three companies and led many product teams and organizations. You'll find a summary of our discussion at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 169. Enjoy the discussion. Bruce, welcome to the Everyday Innovators. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Glad you are here too, because I enjoy this topic of product roadmaps. And it's one we've talked about a little bit, but we, we haven't addressed it well before. And I think one of those reasons is there frankly aren't a lot of people that can address it well. And you have now the definitive book on this and a really good approach. And uh, you came highly recommended, and I'm glad to be able to reach out to you and have you share the information with our listeners. So let's just dive into the definition. What is a product roadmap? Well, actually, if you had a look at the book, um, you'll see that um, that's a controversial topic and one that we tackle head on in the book. Most people actually think of a roadmap, a product roadmap, as a set of features and dates. What are we going to deliver and when are we going to deliver it? And we actually think that's wrong. We actually think that um, that's more what we would call a project plan or a release plan. It's a much more detailed thing. It projects dates. It has deliverables on it and so on. Uh, and what it's frequently missing, though, um, a, a release plan or a project plan, is why. Why are we doing any of this? What is the product vision? What are the goals we're trying to achieve? What are the problems we're trying to solve in the market or for the company? And that's where we think a product roadmap shines. 
the product roadmap is really about the why. It's about the ultimate destination and the major steps along the way in terms of goals to be reached and problems to be solved. But really, we think that a roadmap should not delve deeply into the what and the when. It should stay at the why level. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it should inspire um, people to then start developing a release plan, a project plan for how do we deliver on the um, on that vision. Um, but it has to start somewhere and it has to start with that why. Okay, so product roadmap is all about vision, why we're doing this project, what problem we're trying to solve, what's going on with this. It's not a Gantt chart. It's not a project plan, which is a bit of a deviation for a lot of listeners probably who have any experience with a roadmap. Well, that's right. You know, we, we might lay out, if we're using something like you know Microsoft Project or some project management software, a, a schedule or even do an Excel and it ends up looking like a bar chart, Gantt chart. Very useful tool. And then our roadmap basically looks like a high-level version of that that might say, okay, this is what we're going to do in Q1 and Q2 and Q3. And my experience with such roadmaps is you know, they're, they're usually wanted by the sales team. So they have something tangible they can take, show in front of the customer and say, yes, we've heard you, and this is when it's going to be addressed, right? That's right. So, so I have to follow up with a question here, which is, uh, who is the product roadmap for then? That's a great question. Um, and I agree with you. It's often that higher-level abstraction of what it is that we're um, that we're doing, but it's not. It shouldn't be derived from the release plan. It should be the starting place. Mm-hmm. It should be the, the the place from which the project plan or the delivery plan or the release plan is derived. And then there can be a back and forth and iterative process of each correcting the other, um, because you want to start with your like Simon Sinek said in his book, start with why. You want to start with why, yep. and then get to what and how and when. Um, so it's not just a vaguer version of the release plan. It's really a statement of strategy, a statement of direction, a statement of intent, um, without overpromising um, on the details about what and why. But with that in mind, um, what that means is that the roadmap is really for everyone. Hmm. It's really for the entire organization. And I would say the extended organization, even the customers and the channel partners. It's the story that you tell internally and externally about what the company is about or what the product is about. So it's, it's the beginning also, not only of your strategy, but of your positioning. It's the story you're telling about why we exist and what we're trying to accomplish. Um, so with that in mind, yeah, it's, it's there to help the sales team. Absolutely. It's also there to help the marketing team. It's also there to help as you might, I've always imagined the engineering team, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's there for customers as well. And it's actually, it's a terrific tool um, for customer conversations, for validating your assumptions about what is or isn't important to your customers. Because if you can put a roadmap in front of them and, and ask for their feedback, they can say, well, gee, I'm really surprised to see X, Y, or Z here. Those things are just not important to us. Or I'm so glad that A, B, or C are there because that is a huge problem for us today. Mm. A great collaboration tool, which is a way of how I think about product roadmaps. And one of the things that a properly constructed roadmap should do for us is allow for collaboration over the, the vision of the project where we're headed. That's exactly right. I um, I think that just like a project plan shouldn't be created in an ivory tower by one person without any input from anybody else, it's the same and maybe even more so with a roadmap. It's, um, it's a collaboration tool that allows 
an organization and its customers to iteratively work their way toward a common shared vision for uh, what we're doing and why we're doing it. Um, having uh, it, we describe in the book, and I have long advocated an iterative and collaborative process for developing not just the roadmap, but even the vision itself for what the product is meant to do in the end um, by sharing early drafts of it with those key stakeholders mm-hmm. and, and not, not in saying, here it is, like it, but instead saying, uh, I'm working on this. Can you help me? Right. And engaging people in that process and making them co-authors of the strategy. We'll get back to the discussion in just a minute. This episode of The Everyday Innovator is brought to you by Product Innovation Educators, your one place for online training to make the move from product manager to product master. When you enroll in one of our online courses, it's like having Chad McAllister as your personal coach. In each course, you get video lessons, added resources, and a private community for collaboration with other product managers and innovators. And, of course, you get direct access to Chad, who will answer your questions and get you heading in the right direction. Past students tell us the concepts, practices, and tools are valuable, but the real benefits they gain are being more confident, increasing their influence in their organization, and generating greater success for themselves and their company. There are four levels of training to become a product master. Find your level now. Get started by going to theeverydayinnovator.com forward slash master. Your one place to become a product master. Theeverydayinnovator.com forward slash master. Don't wait. Get started now. I think one of the, the apprehensions or the dangers of the classical product roadmap that looks more like the, you know, by quarter what we're going to be doing for the next period of time kind of approach is that it sets expectations that now become uh, what senior management or others are envisioning will actually happen. And that's really hard to do, especially when, when we're in an environment where we're getting feedback from customers and almost any product now suffers from shorter timelines and things need to change more quickly. And trying to predict too far out in the future is really troublesome. This is starting to sound like a very different sort of approach. And I want to get in, into what it actually looks like and how we construct it. For the constructing part, let's start with what information we need to put into a product roadmap. Well, I, I want to come to that in a second, but I okay. want to um, I want to reinforce what you just said about the pitfalls of a traditional roadmap that overpromises mm-hmm. on deliverables and dates. Um, a lot of people have gotten away from that um, to the point where uh, because they think that 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 features and dates is what a roadmap is is synonymous with a roadmap, they've abandoned the practice of roadmapping altogether. And as a result, they've kind of thrown out all the strategic high-level thinking and communicating of a common vision and a common set of problems and, uh, to solve and what kind of mm. priority order those come in. So they've thrown the ba- baby out with the bathwater, unfortunately. Um, and as a result, the, sh- the, the thinking gets very, very short-term. They only want, because they feel that a roadmap is a promise and because Many stakeholders have essentially said, well, we assume a roadmap is a promise. Um, They've only been willing to try to see out as far as they can promise, which is not very far, especially, as you said, in the world of agile and lean, where every two weeks we can probably change our mind about the priorities and Mm -hmm. um, where we have rapid fire releases and lots of data coming back about usage um, from customers. 
um, we can and we should change our mind about tactical things, about executional things um, as we learn. Um, and that, that, is the, that is the fundamental reason why the old-fashioned roadmap doesn't work anymore. If you want to project out any further than the next two weeks or the next release cycle, whatever time frame that is, you have to get out of exactly what are we delivering when. Um, and you have to get into what problems do we believe the market has and which ones are the most important ones to solve. Mm -hmm. That doesn't change nearly as rapidly as the other things. So that brings me to the answer to your question, which was, what are the inputs to a roadmap? Um, you, need to, you need to start with a product vision. And a product vision basically is, what will the world be like? How will it be improved when our product is ubiquitous? And most of the time, I feel that we, you should take that from the point of view of the customer. That is, what value are we bringing to the marketplace for the customer? But some of the some um, product visions include the benefits to the company as well, um, especially if it's an internal product. Um, the next the next input beyond that vision, that statement of um, where are we aiming, is um, what are the business objectives, and that in my mind is the best place for what are the benefits to the company to come hmm. into play. The business objectives might be things like number of customers or market share or conversion rate or retention or engagement, um, those kinds of business outcome type, um, type objectives, the kinds of things that you often see these days in OKRs, which right. have become very popular. Um, and the idea is to focus the roadmap on what uh, business objectives, if we move steadily toward our, um, our long-term vision, will indicate that we are on the right track, will help us measure our progress toward that vision, and we'll make sure that we have a viable business model along the way so that we can continue to fund it. Um, those are the first two inputs. The, the implication there for, um, for those inputs, though, is that you understand the marketplace, the customers, and your business. Right. You can't, you can't, you can't um, describe a product vision in terms of the benefits to customers if you don't understand the customers and where they see problems or jobs to be done or value. And you can't put together business objectives if you don't understand how the company measures value. Mm -hmm. So with those two things combined are, are the starting place, but the underlying substrate is a thorough understanding of the customer, the market, and your business. Are you familiar, I don't know if you use the tool, the business model canvas or the lean canvas? Yep. Uh, there are a whole, whole, um, there's a whole ecosystem of canvases. Yes, now. there are. Um, like that. I have a friend, Shardul Mehta, who created something called the product canvas. It's designed for um, creating a new product in, uh, in an enterprise with many, many products, mm, okay. um, for example. But so, yeah, I'm familiar with it. Yeah, the, the reason I asked, I think Alex uh, Osterwalder, who, you know, is known for the, the business model canvas, the, and a wonderful, colorful book, right, that explains it. And all of a sudden, there's all these other canvases that have popped up. But a version of that that Ash Mariah created was, is the Lean Canvas. I use the Lean Canvas uh, anytime considering a new product concept because yep. uh, it helps to address some of these things you're talking about. And I, I was just curious if you've have used it as an input, as a tool to capture some of these inputs. We lay out in those nine blocks on a Lean Canvas who our, our customer is, right? What are their core problems? Right. Uh, what's our vision of the solutions to those problems? 
and we and we just work through the business model aspect of this to and how we're going to measure our, our progress as we go. Right, and then what what are the revenue streams and the costs and the path to market? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I've used that often. Um, I uh, it's also my favorite of the various canvases, um, mm-hmm. and I'm a big fan of Ash's books. We mention it actually in the book as one of those things that you probably want to do um, before you set down a roadmap because okay. it does help you to define those basics. Yeah. It, it helps you cover some of these inputs that you just talked through and exactly. get a better vision for your product. And you better know your customers and your marketplace to be able to put one of those together. And there's one more thing that I think you need before you can really start on your roadmap. And that mm-hmm. is you need to know who your stakeholders are. Hmm. You need to, um, you need to figure out in advance who, to whom does it matter whether your product is successful or not? And that includes obviously your customers, but it includes probably channel partners if unless you're direct to consumer. Um, and it um, it probably includes a lot of internal stakeholders as well. Uh, there are a lot of product people out there whose world is very narrowly defined as working directly with engineering or mm-hmm. and or UX and or sales. But they're really, if you think about it, the entire organization, needs to be aligned to your vision of your product for it to be successful. Mm-hmm. For, for the entire company to rally around it, the entire company really should be involved from the beginning in the conception of your roadmap and therefore the product vision and the business objectives as well. The earlier you involve those stakeholders, the more input you get from them, the more they're going to feel a sense of um, ownership of the results. I remember one of my managers when I was a software product manager, and he became a business mentor as well, made the observation that I, I think in terms of systems, and I just naturally do, and that's how I see the organization, right? And at times, that's very beneficial because I care about how what we're building influences the different functions, you know, engineering and marketing and sales and how we're all going to work around this. And it was actually surprising to me to realize that most people don't. Yeah. I, I kind of expected everyone to be on the same page. Like engineering would be excited because this is how it's going to help our customers. And obviously we're all about helping our customers and creating new value for them. And that will make value for us. And people don't always have the same perspective. <laughs> and, well, that's right. The average, I think the average person is sort of thinking in terms of their job right. and sort of narrowly, what is it that is expected of me? How do I contribute? It, they, uh, they don't naturally and immediately and consistently think about the big picture and where the part that they're doing fits into the whole. And I think it's a key portion of the product manager's job I think so too. to provide that cross-functional context right. to say, okay, the reason it's important that you do it this way and not that way, or because you shouldn't really be telling people how to do their jobs, but the reason why our goal is X and not Y is because of this larger picture. Right. Then you let the expert in that particular domain figure out what that means to how they do their job. Um, but, but without that context, then they're going to make their decisions and that everybody has to make decisions all day long about how they execute on anything that's within their uh, area. They make those decisions without that context, then uh, everybody in the organization is making dis- dis- 
decisions that don't necessarily fit together very well. Yeah. And that notion of the product manager kind of being the, the glue that can hold these perspectives together and help people understand, back to you mentioned Simon uh, Sinek before, the why is this important to the organization and how does your role contribute to? And this is why the roadmap in particular. That's what is, I was going to say. It's a collaboration tool to help help those discussions, right? That's right. That's right. That's why it's important that it has the why in it. That's why it is something that shouldn't be hidden away in the product manager's laptop or desk uh, and restricted to R&D, but needs, needs to be that collaborative context-providing tool for everyone who has a stake in the success and has a contribution to the success of the product, and, and eventually that means the company. Good. We know what some of our key inputs are. They're really stemming from alignment to the business objectives, the vision for the product, what problem we're solving, what customers we're serving, and the, the stakeholders beyond just the customers that get the product. How do we organize this? Because in my head, I right. still have, okay, for the next three quarters, the, 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 these are the big pieces. So <laughs> right. how does the roadmap organized? Well, we have in the book um, organized the components of a roadmap into a three-level hierarchy. We have primary components, secondary components, and what we call complementary components. Uh, complementary components are components that are not really part of the roadmap, but may help provide context for it or additional layers of information that particular stakeholders may want. So the primary ones are the things that if you don't have them, you don't really have a complete roadmap. Hmm. So these are things like the product vision, the business objectives, and we would also say themes. We, uh, themes is our general sort of term for the problems that need to be solved or the jobs that need to be done. They are, we, we call them themes in order specifically to differentiate them from features, hmm. from deliverables, because they are meant to be a higher level concept of what is the goal here? Um, what is the, what is, how will we know if we have succeeded? So the difference between, it's the difference between saying we're going to do um, an HTML5 redesign of the site, which is a deliverable, and instead saying we're going to make the site work on different screen sizes, which is the, uh, so, so, so that anybody can use it on any device at any time with, uh, with, a, with a reasonable experience. Once you understand that that is the uh, outcome that's desired, you could actually take any of several approaches to the output. You could do an HTML5 redesign, or you could leave the website as it is and instead create apps for Android mm -hmm. and iOS. Um, once you understand the goal, you can figure out, well, what's going to get us to that goal the best way possible? Right. It's a good so, way of helping to frame the problem, framing these themes at a level that don't point towards a solution, but exactly. what is it we're trying to accomplish? Exactly. And that's frequently left out, as I was saying earlier. Usually you get uh, a solution without any reason why, and then um, all the resources of the organization are pointed at getting as close as possible to that solution, whether or not it solves the original problem, because the original problem has been forgotten somewhere along mm -hmm. the way. Um, there are two other primary components that we recommend, um, and one of them is um, timeframes. Now, you mentioned, um, I still think in terms of quarterly deliverables, and a lot of roadmaps are still mapped out at the quarterly level, even if there are many releases along the way, mm -hmm. even if at places like Facebook um, or Google or um, 
um, Twitter that they're releasing multiple times per day. Mm-hmm. Um, still, it's sometimes helpful to have big, broad timeframes that are not necessarily connected directly to releases and saying, well, these are the themes that we are tackling during this time frame. Um, but on the other hand, uh, there's a new style of roadmap that gets completely away from timeframes and instead goes to what I would call very, very high-level timeframes. Um, uh, and it basically says, um, now, next, and later. Those three big buckets are right. what we're working on right at this moment with no, no, no um, promises about when it's releasing, but you know we're working on it. What are we working on after that? Um, and then in the vague future, things that are on our list, but we really haven't even started thinking very seriously about it now, next and later, or, um, uh, short term, long term, those kinds of buckets. They, what, what a lot of people have found is that once you start getting away from being really specific about deliverables and dates, once you start getting to the essence of the conversation of, well, is this important to you or isn't it? Uh, once you're having that dialogue with your stakeholders, exactly when you're going to deliver it, it's not as important most of the time. Mm-hmm. They just want to, your stakeholders just want to know that you're serious about X or that you've pretty much written it off. Um, and if you're serious about it, then they, then you can start to enter into a more detailed discussion about what is the scope of that? And is it this year or next year? Or is it, you know, is it soon, like you're working on it now? Or is it um, medium like you're mm-hmm. you, next up it's on deck or you're not sure when you're going to get to it. That's often good enough. Our mutual friend, Steve Johnson, he's the one who I got that notion from that. I really like that approach to organizing a product roadmap. And it's the one I use now, which is the, here, here's what we think we're, here's what we're doing now, right? That that's the middle part to the right. What we think we are, what we have planned for next. And then, then to the left, what we think we might be doing. That's right. Um, and maybe he got that from you. I have no idea where, where this notion started, but I, I it's been around a while. Yeah. Um, I, I and think it's I the first... Kanban sort of idea that, you know, it comes right. from, but what I like so much about that approach is we, we, as product managers, we set ourselves up for difficult conversations when we put a date on anything. Um, that isn't that we can't be certain about, and so we should avoid setting ourselves up for difficult conversations and disappointing people if we don't have to. Absolutely, and and um, I just wrote an article for Mind the Product for their blog about you know about roadmaps not having to lead to broken promises. Mm-hmm. The, uh, David Cancel has a terrific quote in the book. When I interviewed him, he said uh, that he'd gotten away from the traditional roadmap because, um, and I'm going to mangle this, but uh, essentially the quote was um, either. Uh, if I promise you that I'm going to deliver something in six months, either I'm going to keep that promise and disappoint you because I built what I said I would, even though I learned that it wasn't the right thing anymore, right? or I'm going to be a liar because I did the right thing and built something different instead. You can't win. And so it's like, yeah, you cannot possibly win, right? Um, so he too has gone to a thematic roadmap. Mm-hmm. These are the high-level themes we're going after this year, and I'm not going to be any more specific than that. So primary, uh, as one of the levels of this, was there anything else besides our key inputs and the, th- and the themes and yeah, timeframes? Um, in primary, there's one other thing, and that is just to be absolutely sure that your audience understands that anything on the roadmap is not a promise, it, you need a disclaimer of some kind. You need to at least put the words down at the bottom, subject to change without notice. In fact, um, a lot of public companies in the U.S. at least 
um, have um, a more elaborate what's called a safe harbor statement, mm -hmm. which is like a whole paragraph that uh, a lot of legal or finance departments will require on any roadmap presentation um, that before you get into any of the guts of the presentation that says, don't make any decisions based on this. And it has to do with revenue recognition and getting sued and all sorts of things like that. Um, so the disclaimer we consider to also be that just that quick reminder that it's subject to change to be a core component, Good. a primary component. Okay. The secondary ones are all, you know, they're all essentially color. Um, the secondary ones, for example, are features. Now, um, I've just finished saying why you don't want to be talking about features and dates. But if you're close enough to a particular release to say, under this theme, we have the following five features. That's what we're shipping next week. There's no reason not to say so. It's, it's, up, to, it's up to you um, and how confident you are. Mm -hmm. the, um, the way I like to frame this is the, the primary components should be on every version of the roadmap that you show to anyone, customers, sta internal stakeholders, engineers, anybody. And then you selectively add secondary or complementary components based on the audience and the particular things they want to know. Right. So if you're talking to customers or the sales team and they want to know about features, you can probably tell them the things that are going to be in the next release if it's soon. Mm -hmm. um, and you're confident. You probably don't want to tell them what's in the one after that until you're really sure um, because you want to avoid that broken promises problem. Um, but on the other hand, when you're talking directly to engineering, well, they would like to get ahead of planning that follow-up release a little bit. So they probably do want to have a conversation about, well, what features were you at least hoping for that would address the problems in your theme thematic statements? Um, so you might have a, a version of the roadmap that has more feature detail out further for that internal sure. engineering um, engineering group. For example, mm -hmm. and there are other things in that secondary category um, um, category of components as well. Like you might have um, tags that say what part of the product we're um, we're working on at any given time, or that we're focused on, or um, are there particular customer segments or user types that we're mm -hmm. focused? So there's a number of ways to sort of slice and dice and add color to the roadmap and the additional. Um, additional components. Okay, that that makes sense. And so, you know, marketing, we might want to make make sure we know what target segment we're highlighting, and then get our messages yeah. synced up properly for that exactly. that theme. Yep. Okay, I, I do want to uh, drill in a little bit on this feature issue with you. And so, so we have our features aligned to themes, and we're trying to figure out often as product managers which one needs to go in next, right? The, yeah. This prioritization uh, topic. Give us some insights about how to prioritize our features for our roadmap. There are a lot of different ways to do it, and everybody has their favorite way. And in uh, Chapter 7 of the book, we outline five different ways that product managers can prioritize, five different um, schemes for prioritization that range from the Kano model to um, the Moscow um, model um, to my favorite, which is the, um, the ROI scorecard. Um, basically... In my, uh, in my opinion, and um, I've found this to be very effective with, um, with many companies that I work with, the best way to prioritize features uh, or really anything, initiatives, problems, whatever, is to do a return on investment analysis to compare the return on investment of any given proposed mm -hmm. bit of work based not necessarily on dollars, but on what are your business goals. 
whatever those business objectives were that we set out at the beginning, let's measure all of the ideas we have for things that we could do to improve the product against those. Mm -hmm. And then let's measure um, which ones hit on those goals most strongly compared to how much effort they require. And so you can develop a score by a simple mathematical model in a spreadsheet um, where you take, all right, we have three business goals. Maybe it's revenue, number of customers, and satisfaction or something mm-hmm. like that. And you can score feature A um, uh, against each of those three, add up that score, and then divide by the some sort of measure of effort in T-shirt sizing. Right. Um, uh, I usually throw in a confidence percentage. And my biggest piece of advice on using this kind of scorecard model is not to get too detailed mm-hmm. because you're not trying to actually do a sales forecast or a project plan. You're just trying to prioritize right. and see w- which things require closer scrutiny, which things bear closer sc- scrutiny. Out of your list of 175 feature suggestions, which ones should you even be looking at more closely? You can use this as a gross filter. Very good. In doing that, I, I, I like this tool. I've seen it used in different ways for feature selection. I think it's a really good way to quickly go through and score different mm-hmm. features against a set of criteria, in this case, against the business goals, right? Not not all goals are necessarily the same. So sometimes we, we weight the criteria we're using and then score against the weight. Do, do, is weighting typically part of this when you do a RI scoring, or do you see it thrown out sometimes? I have a couple of different templates, uh, one with weights and one without that mm-hmm. – um, that you can download from my blog, productpowers.com. Mm-hmm. Um, I prefer without waiting, actually, because I think just like the roadmap, that your prioritization scorecard should be a collaboration tool. And with that in mind, the simpler the model, the better. So people should be able to do the math in their head mm-hmm. about how the scores are coming out and should be able to see at a glance why feature A is scoring higher than feature B. And when you introduce weighting, I find that A, it complicates the model so it's not quite as inspectable um, visually. But also, um, if you're using, if you're using a a t-shirt sizes for your, um, for for your scale, I find the weighting doesn't actually make much difference in the rank in the end. It really doesn't. Um, And in the end also, um, because this is more of a, collaboration tool Uh and a decision support tool, not really a decision making tool. We're not handing over responsibility for strategy to a spreadsheet. Um, Because of that, because you're going to go through and take the scores with a grain of salt, have a discussion, and then make some decisions, um, then the precise order of the the things that come out of the scorecard is also not not that critical. It's, um, It's really there the model is there, the mathematical model is there in my mind to help you have the right conversation and unpack the, unpack the reasons and arrive at common reasons um, for, for making decisions. At least half the value, perhaps more, in doing that scorecard is in the discussion about whether the goals are right mm-hmm. um, that results from seeing the prioritization scores come out unexpectedly. You know, wait a minute, why, why is this thing up at the top? That seems nonsensical. Oh, it's because we've really, because one of our goals is to get publicity for our company because we're trying to get acquired or something like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, you know what? We're no, we got acquired. That's no longer relevant. Let's take that out of the scorecard altogether. Right. 
you know, in life at some point, I think a lot of us figure out that the journey is much more valuable than the actual destination. Right. And it seems like this planning process with just about anything is real the, where the real value is gained as opposed to the plan we create at the end. That's right. And, and working through this provides enormous value. Good. And so we'll leave it to listeners to, uh, to check out your book for the other four methods. And I will put in the summary notes for this episode a link to your resources there for, you know, getting these ROI tools. Uh, so we can start, you know, figuring out how we could do a scorecard ourselves. I do want to move us along to the innovation quote, which listeners know I always ask for. And okay, right. uh, what is an innovation quote you have for us, and why did you choose that one? Well, Alan Kay, one of the pioneers of the computer business, said um, that the best way to predict the future is to invent it. And I've always really liked that quote, and it's been on my mind um, lately. Not only because it sort of turns the conventional wisdom on its head. Um, it it's it um, it supports my thinking about um, about the goal of roadmaps and that it should be less about predicting. Okay, we can we can predict precisely what's going to happen, and more about focusing on solving problems in in new and better ways. It's about innovating and acknowledging that we don't really know exactly what's going to happen in the future. We we're going to drive in this direction, and we're going to see what happens, and we're going to learn from that. And then we're going to correct course as we go. Mm -hmm. And that's better than trying to predict anything because um, you're going to be continually open, um, open to what's going on. Because you're, you're not trying to predict something and then follow it. Instead, you're trying to um, figure out the best path forward always. And that keeps your eyes open in my mind. There's a point in life where I, I think this notion of predicting the future, the best way to predict the future is to invent it and the notion of, of inventing it sounded really big. Like, you know, that's not something I, I could take on. For one, it's gotten easier because we have better tools. And, you know, just about anyone can start a SaaS company if, if one wants to, you know, find a problem yeah. to solve. The more important notion I just want to share with listeners, too, is that I'm thinking of my kids and trying to instill, you know, some core beliefs in them about the future is it turns out the, the people that made everything that we have now aren't necessarily any smarter than any of us. That's right. And any one of us can invent uh, a future that we want to be a part of. These are not really big pieces to, to tackle after all. No, I, I completely agree. I appreciate the quote. Thanks thanks for sharing that. I was not familiar with that one from uh, Alan Kay. Mm. Good. And you have a number of good resources. You have a book I want uh, to make sure that people know how to get a hold of. Tell us how people can reach out to you, connect with you if they want to, and find out more about these resources. Sure. Um, first of all, the name of the book um, is Product Roadmaps Relaunched, How to Set Direction While Embracing Uncertainty, speaking of predicting the future. Mm -hmm. um, it's available on Amazon uh, right now, um, 4.8 stars out of five so far. Um, it just came out in November, so it's only been out a couple of months now. Um, and you can also get it um, electronically from O'Reilly directly in their Safari subscription service. Hmm. Um, uh, my co-authors and I are doing a bunch of workshops all around the country at various conferences. We've done some recently at Mind the Product, Lean Startup Week, the Business of Software. And if you go to our website, um, productroadmapping.com, you can see where else we're doing workshops um, in the future and talks and other, other appearances. Um, and we also do private workshops for individual organizations. Um, and you can see a little bit of information about that there. Um, if you are interested in um, 
uh, follow uh, in, in consulting services or anything like that. You can also inquire on the website or uh, people can feel free to write directly to me. Uh, my email address is bruce at rex.com, R-E-Q-Q-S.com. And often I know listeners uh, sometimes reach out through LinkedIn. That's an easy way to connect. Yep. If that's okay, I'll share your LinkedIn profile as part of the summary notes too. That's great. And um, I'm on Twitter, fairly regular poster of um, content at um, my uh, handle's a little difficult to spell. It's data-driven, which is the letter D, the number eight, the letter A, um, underscore the word driven, data-driven. Got it. D-8-A underscore driven. Right. Okay. Clever with the eight. Is that on a license plate somewhere? (laughs) It should be. (laughs) It should be. Great. Bruce, I really appreciate the information. These are really important insights for uh, everyday innovators. Think through about how Roadmap can be a productive tool for us, not something we tend to loathe over time because uh, it makes uh, it sets us up for failure. And instead, how we can use it to really create collaboration around a vision for the project. Thanks so much for the information, Bruce. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks again for listening. Find the summary of the discussion with Bruce at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 169. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit our blog at theeverydayinnovator.com.